0: Welcome to Donna Cloney Parish Podcast. If you want to know more information about the parish, how to support us, or for other social media, please go to www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk. Thank you. I'm the Rector here in St John's Parish. Great to be with you folks in Donna Cloney Parish. And a big thank you to Brian, your Rector, for the privilege to join and to share God's word with you today. So I'm just going to read from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead my daughter. So she went out entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she dressed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out, and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is one of our close relatives. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. I always really love the season of harvest growing up in carbon in the countryside on a farm being a bit of a country bumpkin. Um, I always love uh, harvest and particularly coming into churches and seeing all the different flowers you can uh, all the different colours smelling all the different produce it's just a real great visual reminder of the goodness and of the faithfulness of God in a really tangible way. I think it's good that we have those reminders because I think at times like this we can often forget just how good and how faithful and how constant God is in our lives and as we look at Ruth chapter 2 what we see is two women who are really um, down on their luck uh, as it might seem who uh, have really been through the ringer and bad that could happen has happened to them they're Uh, really at uh, the bottom. It seems that things can't get any worse and it seems like God's completely absent. And so what do they do? Because it takes tremendous courage to leave the land that you've always lived in and go and move to another country, go and move to another culture. Most of us will perhaps know that for ourselves because either our if we haven't done it ourselves, don't we at least know family members or friends who have emigrated? Even in my family, my oldest brother has been living in Sydney in Australia for the past 10 years. And if you ask people why they've done that, the answer will always, or at least almost always be, because they want a better life. No one moves to another country because they want a worse life. They move because they want and expect a better life. And that's where we see root. And Naomi, because it's really a story of two female immigrants. We're told back in chapter one that Naomi's husband Elimelech, her two sons Malan and Kilion, they move to Moab because there's a famine in Israel. They want a better life and while they're living in Moab, the two sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then tremendous tragedy takes place because they found the very thing that they had been hoping to avoid, which is poverty and death. Because Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and then her two sons, Malon and Kilion, all die. And so Naomi's hope is in pieces. And she decides to go back to Israel because what hope did she what hope did Naomi realistically have? She's too old to work. She can't make money. She's poor, so she needs money. She needs food. She's too old to get remarried, to have more children. She can't, she doesn't have a family and can't have another family because her sons have died. Her two daughters-in-law were really no help because they were Moabites, and, which were one of the great enemies of Israel. And so if they were to come back with her, they would have been more than likely just seen as rejects and outcasts. Which is why she tries to send them back to their own families. And while Orpah goes back to her family, Ruth stays. And so Naomi is stripped of everything that would have possibly given her hope. And at, at, at the end of chapter one, as she goes back to Israel, she even tells people to no longer call her Naomi. Because that name means pleasant. Instead, she tells people to call her Mara, which means bitter. She says her life, is completely full of bitterness. And so as we come to chapter 2, we have these two female refugees returning to Israel. One an old woman with no money, no family, and the other a potentially hated immigrant. And so it seems hopeless. Their lives are full of suffering and sorrow. It doesn't seem like they have a future. And I wonder, as we gather for this harvest celebration, how many of us can empathise with that? We don't feel in all that particularly of a celebratory kind of mood. Life has, in fact, been hard. There has been times of sorrow, real times of suffering in our lives, and we don't see much hope for the future. And what, which is why I want to say. That if you're in that situation, harvest, in fact, is still a time for you. Because harvest is not just for those whose barns are full, but it's also for those whose barns are empty. Harvest is not just for those whose fields are overgrown, but also for those whose fields seem withered. Because as we'll see in this chapter, God is a God of the harvest. It is him that brings the increase. It's him that brings the growth. It is he that brings the blessing, and he can produce a harvest, even in what looks like a wasteland. And he can produce a harvest of hope in the lives of the hopeless. We see this in three ways in this passage, in foreknowledge, friendliness, and faithfulness. So the first is foreknowledge. Um, I could have easily said providence or sovereignty, but because I like alliteration, I went with another F word, so it's Foreknowledge, because in verses two and three, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick over the leftover grain behind anyone in in whose eyes I find favour. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of the Limelech. So what's going on here is that Naomi uh, arrives back at Ruth and Ruth realising, okay, they need food, they need stuff in their bellies uh, for for sustenance just to keep them going. So she decides to go out and glean in the fields, which is not just kind of some plan that she thought, I don't know what to do. That that, that was actually a good plan. It was a smart move on her part because under Jewish law and under God's law, Jewish landowners were not actually allowed to take all of the grain. They weren't allowed to maximise their profits. They had to leave some around the edges for the poor and for the foreigners. You you can find that in places such as Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24. But notice here it says the words as it turned out. Other uh, translations might say it just happened. In other words what the the writer is saying here is that it just so happened that the very field that Ruth went to just so happened belonged to Boaz, and Boaz just so happened to be related to Elimelech, who just so happened to be Naomi's husband. You know, it's a bit like the guy um, who was looking for a parking space, and he's driving round and round uh, the car park, couldn't find a parking space, so uh, he, he prayed a quick prayer and said, "Lord, if you help me find a car parking space, now I'll give my life to you. I'll do whatever you want. Just help me find a car." Parking space. And so he, he lifted his head, and lo and behold, it was a free space. And he, and he quickly said, Just never mind, Lord, I found one myself. You see, there are certain moments in our lives that we can look at as either a coincidence or as an intervention. And these words, as it turned out, are meant to be seen as the intervention of God in the lives of Ruth and Naomi. Because Ruth just leaves the house with with a plan to go out and get some food for her and her mother-in-law. But she had no idea of the intervention, of the foreknowledge of God and what he had in store for her as she went out gleaning that day. And so if you're someone listening to this today and you don't have a clear plan for your life, let me encourage you. Because I can... Uh, testify and witness even to in my own life I am someone who has a, a speech impediment uh, a stammer uh, I couldn't read in class Um, couldn't tell people my own name Um, really really didn't like any kind of speaking or social interactions and if you would ask me as a teenager what I wanted to do with my life I knew more with what I didn't want to do than what I did want to do and I definitely absolutely positively assuredly wanted nothing, nothing, nothing to do with any kind of public speaking. Dreaded it, hated it, thought that's absolutely not for me. And so without really knowing what I wanted to do, um, but knowing that I liked maths, I liked engineering, and so I went and I studied quantity surveying, which is all about working with um, the materials and the cost of materials in construction. And in college I loved it, and I thought you know this is what I'm going to do with my life but then I got my first job uh, with uh, a company and I absolutely hated it and so I felt like a kind of limbo I thought what on earth am I going to do do I just go and get another job or do I go and I go back to college and I train in something completely different and I just remember waking up one morning and praying to the Lord I really don't want to go to work today. And so I really need help from you, I really need advice from you, I really need an intervention from you. I need you to clearly open a door, make it clear about what you want me to do. And all I can remember the Lord saying to me was, just look out your window. Because from my bedroom window, I could see my local church. And as soon as I looked out the window and clapped eyes on the church, I just felt the Lord saying, that's where I want you to be. No, I didn't immediately know that was ordained ministry, but that began the process of which has brought me here. Now, I can look back at my life. I can look back at all that stuff and say, you know, what an absolute strange set of coincidences. From not really knowing to what I wanted to do, to just kind of haphazardly going and, do it and studying at and quantity surveying, to then going out into the real world and into a job I didn't like. And then, despite having a stammer, somehow ending up leading a church in Lurgan where I do a lot of public speaking now. All very, very strange. Or I could look back in hindsight and say, you know, the Lord has been involved in every step of my life. That even when I didn't have a plan for my life, even though though I didn't know the direction where to go, I didn't know what the future held. I didn't know what to do. God did have one. And was working to fulfil it in my life. Because that's what we see in Ruth and Naomi's life. Ruth's just going out. She's just being the obedient daughter-in-law here. She's going to make a living for her mother-in-law. And God takes her right at that moment. Takes her right there. And makes something spectacular happen for her. And so if you're in a similar place, don't worry about not having your plan, the, the plan for your life all meticulously planned out and worked out. God has the foreknowledge for that. Just be obedient and trust him with your life. Trust in his plan for you. So first is foreknowledge. Second is friendliness. Because Boaz arrives on the scene as Ruth is in the field gleaning. And he sees Ruth. He, from the foreman, he learns who she is. Then he goes over to her and he says in verses 8 and 9, my daughter listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. What Boaz's words are telling us here is that he is concerned for Ruth because he knows that if she was to go and glean in another field. She could possibly be hurt. She could be taken advantage of. She could even be killed. And so Boaz warns his men not to go near her. Because Ruth was, again, she was was a, a Moabite. She was one of the hated enemies of Israel. Moabite people were just seen as horrible, wicked, and as the enemy. And so she could have been really hurt. But not only that, Boaz didn't want her to go out even gleaning him on the edges of his fields, because he thought that, that, that the other poor, they might even attack her. So tells her, out of concern, stay with his working women. Marvelously, he tells her that not only can she glean, because she's not just getting the scraps from the edges, he, he's basically saying you can harvest. She can take as much as she wants, she can take as much as she can carry and bring it home. And Ruth is astounded by the friendliness and the heart of a man who would be so open to a poor and marginalised woman such as her. Do we see the power of friendship here? Because what is it that transforms Ruth's and Naomi's life? Because it's not a sermon. It's not a a church event. It's not even a a government programme. transformation comes entirely through the friendship of Boaz and nothing else. Which means that when new people come among us, are we, are you someone who goes out of your way to welcome them, to extend hospitality to them, to be friendly, to be generous to them? Because the Christian really ought to be the one who is the first to reach out, the first to welcome. Those of us who have known the friendliness of God in our own lives ought to be the first one to approach someone and say, you know, we're so glad that you're here. It's really great to see you. Come and join us. Come and participate. Come and join in. If you've no one to sit beside, then that might be trickier at the moment, but um, come and at least be near me. It's great To have you with us. We're so great, so glad to have you join us. You're so welcome. Because unless we're brave enough to do that, and we're intentional enough about it to do that, that just doesn't happen. Unless Boaz was intentional about his friendliness to go and approach Ruth, she wouldn't have been able to glean, she wouldn't have been able to, to, to harvest. So don't underestimate the power of friendship, because friendship has the power to change people's lives. Because what is a friend? It's not just information. It's not a skill. It's not an app. Friendship is about being present. It's about being committed. It's being there for somebody, because that's the only way that anyone's life is really changed. For us as Christians, our lives have changed through the presence of the commitment of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we change people's lives by being present and being committed to them. That's how Boaz transformed the lives of Ruth and Naomi. So there's foreknowledge. There's friendliness. But lastly, is faithfulness. Because notice whenever Ruth goes back, she has all of the grain, all of the food. When she goes back that night and when Naomi sees all the food... That Ruth got from Boaz, she asked, where did you get this? And Ruth tells her the story and Naomi replies in verse 20, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Is he a guardian redeemer? was something that was referred to in the Jewish law It goes right back to when Joshua and the people of Israel commit to the land and all the land was divided up between the different peoples, the different tribes. God knew that over time, some of the people would lose their land and other people would gain the land. They would have to sell it to pay off debts. And so God made two provisions in the law for families to get their land back. Because God never wanted his people to be one where there's great disparity between the haves and the have-nots, between the rich and the poor. And so the first provision was that every 50 years, which so is known as the year of Jubilee, all the land would go back to the original landowners. Every 50 years that would that would happen. But the second provision was that um, before the year of Jubilee, because 50 years is quite a long time if, if you're in need to wait, um, the land could be bought back but only by someone who was a member of that tribe or someone who was a relative of the person who lost it and it just so happened that for Ruth and Naomi one such of those relatives was Boaz and that person was known as the guardian redeemer because he's off their blood. Later on in the story Boaz does indeed go on to redeem the land out of debt. He goes on to rescue and to restore them. And so then what does that mean for us? Well, from Boaz's descendant would come the true guardian redeemer for us all. Because David is Boaz's great grandchild, and from David's descendants would eventually come Jesus. And Jesus looks a bit like his ancient mother and father. Because like Ruth, Jesus left his home and went to a foreign place. He left heaven and came to earth. And like Boaz, he not only paid your debt, but he reaches out and unites with you so that all of his wealth can become yours. Because like Boaz, he is your flesh and blood. You see, if Jesus could come and he could redeem us or just save us by saying live a good life, then he never had to leave the safety and the comfort of heaven. He could have just told us how to live. But he didn't do that. He came and he himself has lived the good life. He has come as the the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He died on the cross for your sin, for my sin, because he would rather be separated from the Father than be separated from you. Jesus is the true. Jesus is the true, faithful friend. Which is why it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how marginal you are or, how, or even how marginal you think you are. It doesn't matter how barren or devoid of hope that your life and your circumstances are right now. God can still produce a harvest in your life. Because that night... Naomi wasn't calling herself Mara. She wasn't saying her life was full of bitterness. The bitterness had been replaced with joy. And for Ruth, the potential outcast immigrant, instead of rejection and hatred, she has been met with friendliness and faithfulness. And the same can be true for all of us. No matter what kind of setback that we may face, God is ultimately plotting for your good it was David Platt who once said although God's path for your joy may not always be smooth his path to your joy may not always be straight but his path to your joy is always satisfying because there is a redeemer there is a redeemer and his name is Jesus let's pray Lord God, we thank you that amidst all the ruin and chaos of this world and our lives, you have a plan that can never be ruined, that our lives by your hand can be rich tapestries of grace because of your friendship and because of your faithfulness. And so we lay our lives before you. We admit our need of you. For we are lost without you. We are completely devoid of hope without you. And so, Lord God, come by your spirit. Come like with Naomi and transform our bitterness into joy. Like we turn our despair into hope. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Do a deep work in our lives. We trust you know better than us. And so we trust you with our lives. Thank you, Jesus, our guardian redeemer. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. We pray that this service has been an encouragement to you, a challenge and a help to build you up in your faith in Christ. We've now ended our church service and we'd be delighted if you can join with us again. Thank you for being with us in Donna Parish. God bless you.